You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, it is... Uh... It's great to have everyone here. If, uh, if you're looking for seats, our church is always good at leaving the front row empty, so front row is still got room, okay? So, well, it's uh, so good to come together again this morning. If you're joining us online for one reason or the other, we just want to say a special welcome to you, and uh, you can let us know that you're joining us uh, by just indicating on the platform you're watching from, but uh, it is good to come together. Uh, I miss this. Uh, it is it's so good um, to be a part of the body of Christ. I think that's one of the things that the Lord has been showing me over the last five or six weeks of kind of here, there, and everywhere. It's just um, what we have here in the body of Christ is such a gift from God. Uh, brothers and sisters who love one another, who care for one another, who are committed to one another. And uh, um, it is uh, in the midst of uh, maybe the busyness of summer. Uh, I hope you feel the way I do. It's been so good to just worship the Lord together this morning, be reminded of his greatness, his power. And as we think about his greatness and his power, we want to study the book of Esther uh, this morning. We got two more sermons in the book of Esther if you are just joining us this morning, this is a good morning because we'll, we'll be kind of be uh, retracing some of our steps as we think about this great book. We think about uh, when this book was written. Uh, of course, we know that uh, Israel was exiled in 586 B.C. Um, by uh, the mighty power of that day, Babylon. But by the time we get to the book of Esther, uh, now it's in the 400s, some of the people of Israel have went back uh, to Jerusalem, and uh, there's some work that's being done there, but, but there's many Israelites still in the nation, and the controlling power now is Persia. And as you get into the book, you, you see this guy by the name of Mordecai introduced. And Mordecai, it seems that he's doing what Jeremiah 29, 7 says to do, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And so we see him being a good citizen. He, he seems to be a God-fearing man. And uh, the first couple of chapters is that craziness with the, the Queen Vashti, and we kind of wonder what that's all about. What, what will that bring about? And then, of course, Mordecai hears that uh, there's someone coming after uh, the king, and, and so his intel is right, and those who are going to try to kill the king are, are, are taken out. And, and you expect at this point, okay, now they're going to be rewarded, it's going to be really good, but if you've watched any movie, you've read any book, then what happens? The villain comes in, the wicked person comes in, and that's what happens in this account as well. There's this man by the name of Haman, and instead of Mordecai being honored, there's this man by the name of Haman who is a descendant of Agag. And you need to kind of understand the the broader history here. We're talking about hundreds of years of hatred between the Agites and the Jews. Uh, They also called the Amicalites, whom God had said he would wipe 
from the face of the earth. Meanwhile, God had made a covenant with his people Israel that said that they would always be on this earth and that his covenant with with them would be everlasting. And so you have these competing things going on behind the scenes. And so the villain comes. And what's amazing about this book, we have any people who love English? Okay, no one. Okay, there's a few of you. A chiastic structure. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say chiastic structure, right? There's the A, B, C, B, A, right? So you, you, you kind of, there's this, if we look at our book, chapter one kind of has some parallels to chapter 10, two, nine, like that's what's going on here. And, and we, we get to the middle of the book, which is where the turning point is. And we see this great reversal take place. Now, as we think about the story of Esther and, and the, the fact that there has been this great reversal, that, that, that God intercedes in not the ways that maybe we've seen in times past, like in Exodus, the way he parts the Red Sea, but he instead has a king have a sleepless night, which then leads him to read a book which then helps him to recall that, oh yeah, there was this guy by the name of Mordecai five years ago who saved my life and what's been done for him. There's this, there's this turning point that happens in, his, in, in the story and good comes to the Jewish people. I've entitled this sermon this morning, The Great Reversal. Now, we like the story of Esther because in the end, those people of God, they win. And that's what we're going to be reading about today. But this morning, I'm wondering if you had a great reversal in your life. You know, this, this plot line of hero kind of introduce, bad person come along, try to destroy you, and in the end you win, is the story really of every Christian. Do you know what I'm talking about? Now, not maybe necessarily everybody thought you were a hero when you were born, Okay. Hopefully, hopefully you had loving parents and they thought you were a hero in many ways and they doted on you and, I, and I, I'm so thankful for so many young families here and I know that's your heart towards your children. You love them greatly and you encourage them and you strengthen them. But every person born on this earth faces an enemy. It's not Persia. In fact, the Bible tells us it's actually not anybody of flesh and blood. We have this other enemy whose name is Satan. Satan who hopes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you're born onto this earth, you have this thing called the flesh that you, you kind of like to sin. And, and it's your natural disposition. And God says, left, you think right. That's what we're born with, this natural inclination. And then Satan comes along and just encourages that. He, 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 we're told in the Bible that he blinds the minds of the people so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. He continues to deceive you, and he is your father, and you don't even know that he actually exists. That's the story of you before Christ. He is your great enemy. And as believers today, he's still your great enemy. In fact, the Bible says that he is a roaring lion seeking to whom he may devour. And so he's, he's our enemy that we face today. But I'm praying everyone here 
this morning can say that there was this day where they were wandering around in darkness, in blindness, and then everything stopped. And God opened your eyes. And instead of believing a lie, you believe the truth. You believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through him. And that day was your great reversal. Instead of living for sin and Satan and self, now you live for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You live for the one who created you. He gave you his spirit. And one day, you'll have eternal life with him. The great reversal. Has that happened in your life? I pray that it has. This morning, I want you to know that if you've never had that great reversal, if you're, you're not even sure how you got here, but you've heard about this guy by the name of Jesus and you felt like you should probably come to a church and figure out this, this thing, I'm praying this morning that this would be the day when you stop and see and God opens your eyes and gives you faith and you then walk in his ways. But if you are a child of God this morning, I also want to remind you about your great reversal. If you've had the great reversal in your life, then you have nothing to worry about today. Oh, pastor, I got, I got a ton of things. No, not really. Your greatest problem has already been dealt with. And instead of walking around like Eeyores, you know what I'm talking about? Like Christians, sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but we don't look like we're saved. We don't look like we've had a great reversal. We look like we're headed to death and destruction. But we ought not to. And so I'm praying as we read this account of the great reversal for Israel, God will light up our hearts and minds and remind us of how amazing the great reversal was and how great reverse, the great reversal to come is going to be as well. So let me pray, and then we're going to get into it. God, I'm so thankful for this time together with your people. God, it is so good to gather together as the body of Christ. What a gift, Lord, you've given us. Lord, your ways are all good, every single one of them. And God, I would quickly admit how many times I grumble and complain and wonder at is what is happening. But Lord, Lord, I ask for forgiveness for that this morning. God, I would ask that you would help me to see that, Lord, you are always at work. That, Lord, you are bringing about salvation in my life and in the lives of those around us, God, as we faithfully proclaim your good word. Lord, you're taking desperate situations and you are bringing about good. Lord, help us, Lord, to trust you. Lord, help us to walk in faith. Lord, I'm so thankful that, Lord, you know every heart here this morning. Lord, you know the truth that they need to hear. God, I pray that by your spirit, Lord, you would lead this time, that you would guide this time, and that the words that this preacher would speak would not be his own, but yours, God. Lord, that we might all live here differently. Lord, for your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand. And uh, we want to just make sure that we all have a Bible so we can look down at the scriptures together. We're going to be looking at Esther chapter 9 this morning. Esther chapter 9. Uh, not too far before the Psalms, if you're looking for it. Just before the book of Job. All right, so let's read together 
Esther chapter 9, in verses 1 through 19, it says this. Now, in the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, on the 13th day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house. And his fame spread throughout all the provinces, for the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, and also killed Parsha and Datha, and Delphon, and Aspatha, and Poratha, and Adelia, and Eridatha, and Par- Parmashta, and Erisai, and Eridai, and Balasatha, the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they laid no hand on the plunder. That very day, the number of those, who kill, those killed in Susa the citadel was reported to the king. And the king said to Esther, in Susa the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and also the ten sons of Haman. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to this this day's edict. And let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa and the ten sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the 14th day of the month of Adar, and they killed 300 men in Susa, but they laid no hands on their plunder. Now, the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made that day a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th and rested on the 15th day, making that day a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day for gladness and feasting, as a holiday, and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. Four reversals as a result of God's power and faithfulness. Four reversals as a result of God's power and faithfulness. First, we see deliverance, not death. Deliverance, not death. The day had now come. The 12th month is there on the 13th day when the king's command and edict were to be carried out. On the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them. Again, to order, to order to appreciate what's happening in chapter 9, you have to have to read the first eight chapters. 
You have to be there in chapter 3 when, when Haman gets angry at Mordecai and decides that it's not enough just to kill Mordecai, but that he wants to wipe out his entire lineage. He wants to wipe out the, the entire nation of the Jews. And so he signs an edict. As the king signed this edict, kind of gives him a little bit of information. Hey, by the way, there's this group that wants to be against you and... Uh, can we kill him? Yeah, sure, whatever. Now, the king in this book, uh, not a great king, okay? If you, you read the entire book, you're like, man, uh, scary times to live under that ruler. Uh, because whoever's closest to him basically is running the country. So this edict is written. Now, in order for us to understand this edict, first of all, how did he decide which day the Jews would be killed? He cast lots, Right? And basically, it's like rolling the dice. And they decide, based on the roll of the dice, that it's going to be 11 months later that this is going to happen. Now, when an edict was made in Persia, as Jamie mentioned last weekend, guess what? It's in stone. It's not being changed. And so, imagine you being in the place of the Jews. 11 months from now, you will be killed. That's the edict. Well, we should flee somewhere. Where are you going to flee when Persia is the ruler? 127 different provinces from, from Ethiopia all the way over to, to the east. There was nowhere to run. So there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. And death will be your future. That's what they were experiencing can you imagine being in that spot? Our leader says, 11 months from now, all Christians will be killed. You can't flee to America. You can't flee to Africa. There's nowhere to flee. You, 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 you will be killed. And so you, you, it's, it's, it's only natural that what? They, they put on sackcloth and ashes and they weep and they lament because they're going to die. And they fast and they seek God because if God doesn't show up, there is no turning back from this edict. It was a hopeless situation. It was a desperate situation. How could this, how could this be good for the people of Israel? How, how is God going to change these things? They had to wonder. Their faith had to be challenged at that time. Can you relate to the people of Israel in this situation? Things happening in your life where you're like, how can this be good? How can, how can God still be on the throne and these things be taking place in my life? It was a real time of testing for them. But God is always faithful. This is what the book shows us. God is always faithful. And what they couldn't see was God moving all the pieces to bring about his purpose. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but this book is just super powerful for you and I today. Because we don't see the parting of the Red Sea we, 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 don't, we don't see the plagues coming, or we might. I mean, if you read the book of Revelation, uh, they are coming. But 
We don't see those kind of supernatural things very often, and yet God is very much at work in our country today. He's very much at work in your family, in your life, and he's bringing about his purposes. In fact, Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And of course, we know that's becoming more and more like Christ. This is the good he's bringing about, but, but this is what he's doing. And so... And in this story, we read that the king has a bad night's sleep. That's the turning point. God brings about a bad night's sleep, and so he asks for a book. They read about the fact that Mordecai had saved his life. He's like, how, how should this guy be honored? He asks his mortal enemy. He doesn't know Haman is his mortal enemy. He asks him, what should be done to honor this guy? Haman comes up with a great plan because he thinks it's about him. And then Mordecai is honored. And then Haman is killed. And now there's a new edict that's been signed by Mordecai. And if we kind of think about our, our calendar, the Jewish calendar is not our calendar. And so if we just think about our calendar, just kind of get our minds wrapped around it. This edict was made in January, 11 months from now. December was when they were expecting to be killed. This edict signed by Mordecai, we read it was like on March 27th. And so drastic has been the change that we read at the end of chapter 8 is that people are trying to say they're Jews who are not Jews. And so now they're, 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 because of this word, because of what's happened, they see God's faithfulness, they're anticipating this day. They're excited about this day that is to come because they know that God has reversed everything that was to happen. And so now the day comes. And as you read verse 1, kind of it's like, hey, the day's here. The day they're going to destroy them. And in once, like less than a sentence, and the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. It's like just statement of fact. It's almost anticlimactic in, very way, in many ways. It's like, yeah, and they won. Right? Like, like, God wins every time. In fact, as you think about what's to come, the day of the Lord, in many ways, when you look at the end, it's kind of anticlimactic. It's like the whole world, all the enemies, like millions and millions and millions of billions of people gathering against God, and God comes, it's like, and it's over. It's like, like there, there's not going to be like, oh, and they, the battle raged. No, it's like, it's over. When God acts, it's over. And we see this, this great reversal, not death, but now deliverance. This is what God does over and over and over again. Of course, for you and I, probably the most special, the one that we hold closest to our hearts, is the great reversal that happened on Good Friday. But I want you to stop and think about where the disciples would have been the hours after Jesus died. Can you imagine what was going through their minds at that time? the great grief that they experienced, the, the heartache, the, 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 the confusion that they went through as trying to figure out how can this be good? He's the Messiah. We, we know he's the Messiah. I mean, we've seen the miracles. We heard his teaching. We, we, we've seen his love. He, we never seen him sin. How can this be good? We've just seen him die. They had no idea what had happened. 
hours turned to days. But on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. And he explained to them why he had to go to the cross. He had to go to the cross to defeat sin, to defeat Satan, to defeat death. And everyone who puts their faith and trust in him can have a great reversal in their life. The wrath of God was poured out on Christ instead of you if you place your trust in him today. Instead of the prospect of death, eternal death being yours, you can now have the prospect of eternal life. When you're going through things and you're wondering, how can this be good? I want you to think about those disciples and the questions they must have had in those hours afterwards. But then what? God showed them what he was doing. God has a plan for each of us. This morning, I pray that you could celebrate this morning and say, I have been delivered. Praise God, I have been delivered, and I'm no longer a child of Satan. I'm now a child of God. I'm no longer enslaved to my sin. I'm now a slave of righteousness. I once walked in the flesh, but now I live by the Spirit of God. Praise God for what he's done in my life and the trials and the tribulations that I may go through, the suffering that I would have in this life are nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed to me. God is for me. No longer death, but deliverance. Four reversals as a result of God's power and faithfulness. First, second thing we see here is victors, not victims. Victors, not victims. He just said, look, they won. You might be wondering why they won. Let me tell you, verses two through five. He explains how it took place, this, this victory that they had. The first thing that we see in verse two is that the enemies of the Jews feared them. The Jews, as were per Mordecai's edict now on this day, they were able to gather together to defend themselves. And their enemies now feared them. It's not unlike what we see in Jericho in the book of Joshua, where we hear that they, they had the fear of the Lord was upon them. Now, the crazy thing is about this whole situation is that even though they feared them, they had an emotion more so, which was hatred. They hated the Jews. And though they may have feared them, they still came against them. Not everybody, but some did. And those who came against them, the Jews were then able to defend themselves. And they were told here that they were able to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force that might attack them. Again, get the picture here. This is not the Jews going out and ransacking every house and trying to, to destroy the Persians. This is them standing on the defensive and anyone who comes against them, they kill. That's what's going on here. And none of them were able to stand against them. We don't read of one casualty in the Jewish people. 
what else was going on. They feared them. The, the second thing here is that we see that there was the, the, all the powerful rulers, the satraps, the governors, the royal agents, they feared Mordecai. And as a result of that, they were supporting the efforts that were going on. We're not told exactly what that meant. We're just told that they were pro-Jew. They, they were for them. They were not against them. And, 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 and we can only imagine that these same guys, when the original edict had went out, were pro-Agites. That's kind of how it works in the world, isn't it? Who's got the power? Oh, yeah, we're their friends. We're with them, right? And God did it through natural means here. They had been pro-Haman. They had been with him, and they would have, we can only imagine the, the hundreds and thousands in, of Jews that would have been killed. In fact, the goal was that they would be annihilated. That was the goal of the original edict. And so, as we've already read, 75,000 of these guys will, will be killed, plus what happens in Susa. But the rulers now are for the Jews. They've made a 180-degree turn, and they, they fear Mordecai. And again, we're not told exactly why. Of course, they've probably heard about him being paraded around the town and, and wearing the king's robes, and then how this guy Haman that they actually had been following, now is killed, and now Mordecai is in his place, and the news of him just spreads. And, and, and his popularity grows and grows, and, and the people fear him. Again, this is God working through natural means. But the reverse couldn't be any greater, could it? I, I mean, it went from they're going to be annihilated to anybody who comes against them is killed. This is what we see God do. Instead of being victims, they are now victors. And we read in verse 5, the Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to all those who hated them. Again, emphasizing the drastic change here. Complete victory. God is at work Job says here, the book of Esther shows how God fulfilled his covenant promise through providence instead of miraculous intervention. Divine providence means that God governs all creatures, actions, and circumstances through the normal and ordinary course of human life without the intervention of the supernatural. So even, even amongst the leaders, he's just using their selfish desires to want power for them to now favor the Jews. God uses the death of Haman, the placing of Mordecai as a leader, the new edict, in no less of a powerful way to bring about the deliverance of Israel than what he had done in bringing them out of Egypt. God has brought about a great reversal through the ordinary circumstances of life. Again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That, hopefully, is your salvation story. God used the ordinary circumstances of your life, sometimes something painful, sometimes 
God in his grace is opening your eyes as you came to church that Sunday after attending date week after week after week with mom and dad. God finally opened your eyes to see, oh, wait a minute, not just salvation for mom and dad. I need a savior too. God uses the ordinary circumstances of life to bring about great reversals. I've been thinking about this as I've kind of had a little bit of time away and a little bit of time of reflection this last two and a half years of craziness. We, we, we all have experienced life as normal and then life not normal. And, and life like so many different things have happened over the last two and a half years that we're like, what? Like how could that, what? We have to do what now? And, 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 and still, there's many things where we kind of scratch our heads at. And, and I, as, as I've traveled around the world um, with, with the missions thing and, and just being in America and going to a wedding last weekend, I'm just, I'm just reminded that our world is not the same as it was two and a half years ago in, in any sort of the way. But what I've seen here, which is such an item of rejoicing for me, is that God has taken those ordinary circumstances of life, disease, governments, all these different things. God's used all of these things, and he's changing you. I've heard testimony after testimony over the last two and a half years. I was apathetic. I didn't think I needed to go to church. But then, in light of everything that happened, God just kind of got my attention. And I, I didn't know if I was even going to go to heaven if I continued to live in the way that I was living. And, he, and he's just kind of brought me back and helped me to understand that I, I need to be passionate about him. It's not just about having fire insurance. It's about living for him every day. Some, some of you are like, really? Do we have to get together with other Christians? Like, really? But like, after the, what we went through, you're kind of like, yeah, it's really good. It's really good to get together. And, and, and I actually want to do that. I desire to do that because I, I see what I'm missing when I don't do that. And God has been at work in, in story after story and bringing about victories in your life, spiritually speaking, through the ordinary circumstances of life. And I just want to encourage you. Sometimes it's like, can we just get back to normal? You know what I mean? Do you feel like that sometimes? Like to the good old days. Well, the good old days may never come. And really, we're that good. We're that good anyways. Really? Instead, let's say, let's just hypothetically think, is, is God in control of everything? Is that a hypothetical? No, it's not a hypothetical. God is in control of everything. And whatever we're facing right now, God is using for good, for your good, and for his glory. Instead, so instead of grumbling and complaining about what we're facing, let us look to him to see what he wants to do next in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. Let us praise God for the reversals that he wants to do this next week in your own life, and in the lives of those around us. So many desperate people who desperately need to hear the gospel. 
the good news of Jesus Christ, that they too might be delivered, that they too might now become victors and not victims. And then thirdly, we see here that they receive favor now, not fear. The third, sorry, the third great reversal we see here, favor, not fear. So it's interesting in the writing of this, he's like, we won, this is how we won, and now it's like, let me give you some of the details. And really, the details seem to be to help explain why are there two days when we celebrate Purim, right? And, and we're going to see that. We've seen that as we read verses 6 through 16. Up into the last couple of chapters, we've seen over and over again that the Jewish people were fearful. They were fearful of what was going to happen. Even Queen Esther, we, we see her fear. When, when the initial news comes out that their people are to be destroyed, she says to Mordecai, yeah, like, I can't do anything about it. And, and the reason she says there's nothing she can do about it because if she comes into the presence of the king without him asking, she could die. And so she's fearful. She's fearful, but then she says, okay, pray and, and fast, and, 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 and then I'll go. And if I die, I die. And then she goes, and of course, she receives favor. And then she receives more favor. And then she receives more favor. There's, there's this fear, now favor, in this book towards the Jewish people. In, this, in Susa, where they were to be destroyed, we read that 500 men were killed, and then the 10 sons of Haman. What, 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 a, what a contrast to, remember Haman Bragan? I got everything. I have all the power. I'm only second to the king. I got all the wealth. I have a great family. And now all of that has been destroyed. Again, remember, the Jews are on the defensive. We can only imagine that the 10 sons of Haman were like, we're going to avenge dad's death. We're going to come against those Jews, and we're going, to, we're going to finish Dad's work. And of course, they were killed. When the king hears the report of those who've been killed, again, you're just like, this king is trying to get into his mind. is like a crazy place to be. Um, he's like, hey, I just heard the report. 500 people have been killed. I mean, like his people, right? 500 people have been killed, and 10 sons of Haman. Esther, what do you want? Are we good? And he, and, he, and he brings up this, he uses the same phrasing. He says, what is your wish? What is your request? But this time, she can ask for anything. The three times before, when he made this same, same kind of statement, he's like, hey, up to half the kingdom, it's yours. This time he's just like, what do you want? Now, what she asked for is that in Susa, that the Jews be able to follow the edict that they did that day, one more day. And that the 10 sons of Haman be hanged up on the gallows. Now, what's fascinating to me, and maybe this is your first reaction, but what's fascinating to me is how many commentators think that Esther is being evil here, that she's being wicked here. They're like, Wow, what an example of what happens when power comes to you 
You know, she's being so ruthless here. She should have been gracious at this point. There's no reason to do anything else. Like, why does she do this? And like a lot of good commentaries. It's not like just all the bad ones. It was like some good commentaries too. They're saying this. And I'm just like, my whole, the whole week, I'm like, am I missing something here? What does she ask for? One, the body's hanged up. Why do you do that? So everybody gets the message, don't attack us anymore. Right? So that's number one. And number two, she apparently had some inside intel. Because what happened on the next day? They killed 300 more people. What was the edict? You can kill those who what? Attack you. So apparently, 300 more attacked them that day, and they were able to defend themselves. We just see the favor of God over them over and over and over again. So Esther may not be perfect, but I don't think she was as wicked as a lot of commentators say. I think this is just God protecting his people and him being faithful to his word. If you were to understand the whole of the, the Old Testament scripture, what's happening here is in fulfillment of Exodus 17, 14, promises that God had made way back with Moses. What's happening here is fulfillment of Genesis 17, 1 through 8, where God promised to preserve his people to Abraham. God is the hero here. And he's simply using Queen Esther and Mordecai to bring about the deliverance of his people. God is always faithful to his covenant. Do you believe that this morning? Did you know that you're part of God's covenant people this morning if you are in Christ today? That Christ has made a new covenant with you and I? He's given us his spirit. He, he's, he has given us his word and, and he promises to always be with us. That he will never leave us nor forsake us. That nothing should separate us from his love. Do you believe that this morning? That the favor of God is with you? He's always with you. Couldn't help but think about the, again, the, the, the day of the Lord that is coming. These guys, it was the 13th day of the 12th month. The day of the Lord, we don't know it. We don't have it pinned down on a calendar, and if anybody does, uh, that's not okay, okay? Only the Lord knows the day. But what we're told in the scripture over and over and over again is be ready, be ready, be ready, so that when he comes, you're rejoicing, so that when he comes, that, that you're celebrating of his return. And when he comes, all his enemies will be destroyed. And I think that's an important thing for us to remember here this morning. It would seem that wickedness is having its day, that wickedness is growing and growing and growing on this earth, and that, that if, if anything, the Christian church is just getting pummeled over and over and over again in so many different countries, in so many different ways. And the Christian church, sadly, in places like ours, is starting to what? Like cower, Right? Okay, well, what are we supposed to believe now? We're just not, we're just a little behind. We're just trying to catch up. What are we supposed to, what's the new truth that we're supposed to believe? 
Well, the true church stands on the word of God. The true church understands that Christ is still on his throne and that even as wickedness will rise up as we read in the book of Revelation, it's not something strange that is happening to us. As the world gathers to persecute and kill Christians, we know that you will only die if you were assigned to die. That may not be real comforting to some of you this morning. But what that tells us is, is that God is in control. And if you're meant for martyrdom, praise God. Praise God. Do you believe that this morning? That to be absent from the body is a good thing? And to be present with the Lord is a really, really good thing? By the way, spoiler alert, if you read the book of Revelation, the martyrs get like, seems like a pretty special place in all of this, right? So it's a good thing if God chooses you to be a martyr. But he may keep you around so you could continue to be salt and light for his namesake. But remember, if God is for you, who can be against you? Let us not shrink back, Christians. Let us not be trying to appease the world. There is no appeasing of the world. God has, uh, sorry, Satan has blinded them to the truth. And they are not your enemy, by the way. Remember that. You continue to respond with love and grace in the truth of God's word, praying that God would save them out of the certain death that they face. But let us be remember, let, let us remember that when Christ comes, that he will remove all evil and he will bring judgment on this earth. And let, let us remember what it says in 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. It's going to be quick. It's going to be rapid. The victory will be ours in, in a moment and we will reign with Christ forevermore. And so let us not be downhearted. Let us not be discouraged. Let us remember our great God. Let us remember that, that he is in control. And then lastly, and I just want to just mention this this morning because we're going to really focus on this next weekend, or sorry, next Sunday. But the, sixth, the fourth reversal we see here is celebration, not confusion. Celebration, not confusion. I, I want to, again, as we think about the, the chiastic structure Remember when the original edict was made? What happened at the end of chapter three? The edict goes out in Susa, and then we're told what? Confusion was throughout the city. Meanwhile, we see Haman and the king knocking back a bevy, right? Says so they, 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 were, they were feasting together. They were, they were, they were drinking together. That's, that's the picture that was, that was the case. But now what? As we get to here, we see now the Jews are feasting. Their enemies now have been defeated. And this will be the case again for every single one of us. But the thing that I want to I I note here are two things. One, that... that there were two days of Purim. Well, this is going to become significant for next week. One, why? Because Susa had the second day 
where they could defend themselves. And so there's those two days, and this is why this whole section has been written, I believe, just to kind of highlight why this is the case. Even today, if you Google Purim, which I did, there are two days in which it is celebrated. And we're going to look at this whole celebration next week. But the thing that I want us to highlight today is that twice it is said that they were given rest, that they rested they rested, just as, as we see at the end of the book of Joshua, that there is, they had been brought rest. Their, their enemies were no longer coming against them. They had rest. Anybody here want rest? Our rest is coming. But not today, I don't think. It will not come until we're with the Father. Because our enemy does not rest. He does not cease. In fact, he's only ramping things up. As I mentioned earlier, we're told that Satan is like a roaring lion, seeking to whom he may devour. So while you may want rest, every morning you must get up and put on the armor of God. Every day, when the flesh is crying out for you to sin, you must resist by the power of the Spirit. Every day, you must battle. And what's interesting is you look at Ephesians 6, is they what? Stand firm. Stand firm. The same stance that we see here. They're not on the attack, they're just standing firm. And when the enemy comes, they defeat them. And when Satan comes against you, guess what? If you submit to God, resist the devil, then he must flee from you. And so battle on, Christians. Rest is coming. The celebration is coming. I, I, want, us to, I want us to, next week, we're going to talk about celebrating. We're going to talk about the importance of celebrating what we're just about to, of the Lord's Supper, but celebrating what is to come, the Lord's Lamb, or sorry, the, lamb, the great supper of the Lamb of God. That day is coming. But between now and then, we need to stand firm. It says in 1 Peter 5, 9 to 11, 9 to 11, resist him, that is Satan, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to, be, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. This week, as we leave here, remember, you have been delivered. If you're in Christ here this morning, you have been delivered. Let that put a little pop in your step, right? As you're going out, you are not destined for eternal death anymore. You have been delivered by the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are victors. You're on the winning team. Yeah, we're taking some losses, it seems, at times, but God is in control, and we are going to win. He is the victor. Let us continue to run with him. Let us continue to pray, for, pray to him and seek him. Let us understand that, that we are daily receiving the favor of God. He is with us. He is for us. He is not against us. Let us keep in mind that there's an awesome party coming, right? 
I love this quote by Dane Ortland. Dane Ortland. It says, what a church sings tells you what they believe. What a church sings tells you what they believe. How they sing tells you if they really believe it. How they sing tells you if they really believe it. I, I think that's a great quote as we think about, do you believe these truths? We say that we do. Well, now let's live like we truly do. Let us go out from this place heralding the gospel, running with the sword of truth. Let us remember that we were once destined for eternal death, but now we've been delivered. We were once slaves of sin and children of Satan, but now we are victors through Jesus Christ. We once had to fear our future and our enemies, but now we have the favor of the Lord. And if God is with us, who can be against us? We once lived in confusion and despair, and now we rejoice, knowing that we have an inheritance laid up in heaven and a celebration to come. May these truths guide us in the week to come. Let me pray. God, we're so thankful for this time together this morning. We are so thankful that we are your children, that you are a faithful and powerful God, the same God who delivered the Jews in Persia is the same God who's delivering us day after day. Lord, we're so thankful that your ways are higher than our ways. And that, Lord, we don't have to understand everything that is happening to us. But, Lord, we do have to put our faith and trust in you. God, help us to be convinced that you are good. Help us to be convinced that Lord, as we proclaim your word, that you will continue to deliver souls from death. God, we cannot wait for the final deliverance of this earth when the effects of the curse will be gone forevermore, where sin and Satan and death will no longer be our enemies and we will enter our final rest. Lord, until that day, Lord, help us to run faithfully. Help us to stand strong with the armor of God wrapped around us for your glory and for your honor, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.